Hi, this is Bruce Hamburger, former assistant at Seton Hall back in the day. You're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is Saturday night, January 9th, 2021. And earlier today, we watched the Pirates defeat DePaul and bounce back from a loss earlier this week to Creighton. But before we get into dissecting both games, let me take a moment and wish you, Mike, a happy belated birthday, man. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, I, mean, I can't complain, right? The Pirates delivered a belated birthday victory for me today. So we're back in the win column. But before we, like you said, start breaking down this podcast, I have a question for you. Have you ever shut off the television or left the arena early during a Pirates game? No, never during a Pirates game. Now, I can't say that I haven't left a baseball game early or a football game, especially a football game. That If that game's decided, I'm the hell out. I'm leaving that parking lot. No, I, I totally get it. I've left many a Padres game early. Trust me, I can tell you that. <laughs> and when you got 70,000, you know, uh, in MetLife Stadium with the old Meadowlands, you want to get out of Dodge before you get jammed up to try to get on the turnpike. Oh, you don't know problems until you try to leave Candlestick Park when the Niners used to play there, man. That was atrocious. Well, look, I personally have never left a game early or shut off the television myself relative to a Seton Hall basketball game. But let me tell you a quick story to try to validate that statement. And I'm going to go all the way back to the fall of 2005. Tom, it was my honeymoon in Jamaica. Oh, my God. How are you still married? Where are we going with this? All-inclusive, gorgeous weather, delicious food, white sandy beaches, clear blue ocean. And what do I do? (laughs) I asked my wife to watch Seton Hall take on number one Duke at Cameron oh, and say, hey, man. can we just skip the reservations at the restaurant? Can we get room service tonight? And she must love me because we did. So now I'm watching Duke kick our tails in that day to a tune of 93 to 40. And we go on to watch it in the second half. And she goes, do we really have to watch the second half? And my response to her on my honeymoon, let me remind you, is, honey, it's only the second game of the year. We got to see what the frosh looked like. Don <laughs> Garcia, Paul Gauze, David Palmer. And for the record, David Palmer was three for three from the floor that day during garbage time. <laughs> I was I was highly encouraged that we had something there in David Palmer before he ended up transferring out to Iowa at the end of the year. But ironically, that is the same season that Copeland and Whitney turned things around. And later that year, hosted number one UConn at the Meadowlands. 
And Tom, the end result of that one, 99 to 57. And I stayed to the final buzzer in my seat that night. That game wasn't much better than the Duke game. Oh, uh, let me tell you, man. You know, and, and I was close. I really was actually close to turning off the game the other night versus Creighton. I was frustrated. I felt like the team had quit. You know, they weren't even really giving a good effort against the walk-ons late in the game. <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> However, there was like just something unique about that 2005-2016 season that I kind of look back and remember, and it was kind of going through my head during this game. Despite the two historically bad blowouts, that team still made the NCAA tournament that year. And you know what? And on neither of those nights did they look like they were a tournament team in any capacity. So Wednesday night, yeah, they, they failed the eye test for me. And despite the win over the weekend against DePaul, you know what? There still is a lot of work that we have to do. But at 9-5 and five and 6-2 and two in conference play, an NCAA tournament bid, it's still a possibility. So I'm going to come into this podcast glass half full for you, Tom. Today on the podcast, we will recap the drubbing in Omaha at the hands of Creighton and the bounce back win in Chicago against the DePaul Blue Demons. We will see how the pandemic continues to hammer the Big East, and we will take a quick look at the rest of January's schedule. But first, Creighton 89, Seton Hall 53. Creighton raced out to an early 17-4 lead on the heels of a 7-for-7 shooting spree and a 13 run. The two teams played even for the rest of the first half with the Blue Jays leading 37-26 at the break. Creighton controlled the first four minutes of the second half and pushed the lead to 18. It felt like the Hall packed it in at that point as all the players for Creighton continued to make a 31-9 run that pushed the lead to a game-high 40. Tom, I don't even think we should do the stats on this one. Oh, I mean, individual, Sandro, 14 points, five boards. Roden, 10 points. And if I'm not mistaken, they all came in the first half. For Creighton, Damian Jefferson, 19 points, 8 of 12 from the floor, 7 for 9 in the first half, and he should have been 8 for 9. I don't know how we leave him wide open in the corner <laughs> for the final shot of the half. Denzel Mahoney, 14 points. Zegarowski, 11 points and four assists. And you're probably wondering, where are the gaudy numbers to jump off the page? Tom, everybody had a hand in this box score. Six here, eight there, seven there. Team stats, shooting, field goal percentage-wise, Creighton, uh, 59.6% to Seton Hall's 33. Behind the three-point line, Creighton shoots a blistering 54% on 13 of 24. And Seton Hall's putrid chucking resulted in three of 18 for 16.7%. Seton Hall trying to share the basketball did not go so well. Only six assists on the entire night compared to 17 turnovers. All right, let's transition over to the turning point. I think this one's pretty obvious. What was the jump ball, Mike? What's the turning uh, point here? No, that, we, we can't do that. We did it in the Wagner game. We can't do the jump ball all, all the time as our turning point. Creighton starts the game, Tom, seven for seven and goes on a 13-0 run that gives him a 17 to four lead. The game never got closer than seven the rest of the way. This is a clear example of getting punched in the mouth the minute the game got started and they never really recovered and got off the mat completely. Mike, you know, I don't even know what we can do here with the blue-tinted glasses. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, the game started off kind of well. I mean, we had a nice little play to Roden at the basket. I said, okay, they're going to do a few different things here. 
And no, they didn't do anything at all. So I don't know where we can go. Look, sometimes when you lose a game like this, you know, it's, things are so bad, there really isn't much you can possibly take away from it. I just, it's just the reality of the situation. But you end up hearing all these catchphrases and silver linings. You know, you gotta burn the tape. Just move on to the next one. It's still only one loss, whether you lose by two or 36. Tom, in this one, I think I kind of just went numb early. You know, there was the injury to Bryce Aiken and you were like, here we go again. And then we just get dominated start to finish. So that allowed me to kind of sit back and dull the pain and try to take some humor out of this experience. Didn't you? The best thing from that game was the text I was getting from the group chat from the guys back east. That was about it. Funny is, you know, if we're talking about catchphrases, there are sometimes the people like to say, misery loves company. And we took a lot of pleasure in reading how other fans were just humorously venting on social media throughout the various game threads across different platforms, Rival, Facebook, you know, your buddies back east. So. Let's try to have some fun with this, right? And I, I really don't know what to dissect in this game in, in terms of blue tinted glasses, but I had a, a, a couple good belly busting gut laughs as I'm reading through these. So we're gonna do an old school David Letterman style top 10 and read you some of these that I kind of thought made me laugh and hopefully you'll look back and kind of laugh as well. You, you do realize you're dating us again. David Letterman hasn't been on TV for six years. Give me somebody else that you can reference for like a solid top 10. <laughs> or I'm just, I'm, I'm giving you hell for it being your birthday weekend here. David Letterman top 10 is fine. What do we have here, Mike? We have the top 10 fan quotes from the Creighton Seton Hall game. So before we go into the top 10, I'm going to give you an honorable mention. And this one was, I thought was really, I think they're all really funny. Does Shavar know that passing it directly to another team doesn't equal an assist? Winky emoji eye. That's, right. that, 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 that's, a, that's a low <laughs> blow here, but okay. Let's right, see what we else go. we got. Number 10, best part of watching this game is that nacho fries commercial. Number nine, give me a scholarship. I'll drive and throw our prayers like Molson. Number eight, well, look at the bright side. We had one more block than them. Number seven, how many times you want to pick and roll for Ike? Don't you know by now he has hands of stone? Number six, holy blank. This game has 11 minutes left. Number five, do we have other plays other than dribbling into traffic? Number four, remember the good old times about 90 minutes ago when it was four to four. Number three, oh boy, put Anthony Nelson in. Rolling on the floor and laughing emoji. Number two, my God, this loss is so bad. We should have wins shaved away from last year. And number one. And the number one fan game quote from the Creighton Seton Hall game. Hey, we run the weave beautifully 28 feet out. Mike, those are some really good quotes. You know, the, the fan boards have been a little boring lately with all the success we've gotten. Who would have thought that would have taken a blowout to get the juices flowing? But isn't that what our lives have become now with everything else in the world? It's all about social media. It's about kind of letting everybody into your living room. I, who, who would have thought that, you know, the, the fan that was in the, the arena with you that was belligerently yelling at the, the refs or at the court, now you get to experience that all across the country, no matter where you are, no matter what the game. I, I think it's great. I, I like the creativity. The creativity of these quotes is, is top notch. You know, 
I wish some of the creativity would rub off a little bit on Coach Willard here. Oh, look at you with the transition. Oh, that's not bad, though, huh? That's not bad. It's getting better. Getting better. What better way to roll into our biggest gripe about this game than to listen to an explanation from Kevin Willard about how he started this game? So we're going to jump into our favorite new segment. And now, Deep Thoughts. With Kevin Willard. All right, Tommy. So there's a lot of a lot of gripes out there, talking about how Seton Hall came out with their starting lineup. Obviously, Kevin decided to go match up and go small against Creighton, and take Ike out of the rotation. And he was asked about that strategic decision in the post game. Totally my fault. You know, we I tried to you know I was trying to protect Ike a little bit at the beginning of the game, and um, you know switch the starting lineup up and. Um, I think it just got us off to a bad start offensively. And then uh, they did a great job, I think, in the second half of really jumping out in the second half and just kind of putting the, putting the pedal to the metal. Uh, and we just, you know, we just didn't, we didn't play well. All right, Tom, we're always picking on Kevin for not taking accountability. He obviously starts off his, his answer to Gary and Dave's question by, by holding himself accountable. But let's go back to the underlying issue here. Do you really have a problem with Willard changing his lineup to go small and try to match up against Creighton? Well, let's take it from a holistic standpoint here. Would Ike really match up well with that smaller, more skilled lineup that Creighton likes to throw out there? Probably not. But I'm going to go back to that basketball savant that he is, John Fanta, from last year when he said... Play your strengths, and our strengths are we are the third biggest team on average in the in the country. But in all seriousness, why would we change something that's working for us? If you look at our last eight games, we're seven and one. We're supposed to be this big team. We're supposed to play well. Ike is supposed to change shots. Isn't this like you're just saying, well, I my best isn't as good as I think your best is, so I'm just going to change it quick, and I'll have myself an excuse. First off, Ike is also a legit 17. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. I, I think it admits defeat, right? Whenever you have to sit there and come out and strategize and say your philosophy is or your players are going to outplay my, my guys by dictating the tempo the way that you want, so I have to adjust. Yeah, that scares me. Ike is 7'2", 275, and he's like a chiseled god out there. He's not like an overweight center that's plodding around. Who does Creighton have to match up against Ike if you actually threw the ball to him in the middle or just tried to lob it up there and have him go get one? Who is stopping him? Nobody's stopping him if you're if you're spreading it out well enough. But Mike also, I mean, just just the whole start of the game was bad. I mean, did we really go down low with Mamu? Who's going to stop Mamu? I think the tallest starter was six seven. Yeah, that's my whole point. So, like, just see if it works, right? But everyone comes back and says it's not about the offensive side of the floor. You just didn't want to get carved up defensively. I mean, I don't know who Ike's going to match up against. Was it going to be against Bishop? And then if Ike is playing loosely against Bishop, who does Sandro guard? Is Sandro going to play a Denzel Mahoney or a Damian Jefferson out on the perimeter? I, I get it. It doesn't make sense. And I'm not a fan of the, the zones that we played throughout the year, or I really haven't been a fan of any zone that Willard's played throughout most of the years. But he rolled out a 1-3-1 a at one point early in the, in the schedule. And I was like, what the heck is this? You know what? That would have been an interesting moment 
to roll out a 1-3-1. Let Ike play on the backside. Let Shavar play up top with a lot of pressure. And then you got Roden, Kale, and Sandro with a lot of length across the middle trying to put pressure on those three-point shooters. It might not have worked, but at least you're giving them a different look defensively while still maintaining the integrity of your guys on the offensive side where you have your strength. Going to your point about Christian Bishop, Mike, it's not like we were stopping him with the smaller lineup either, though. My bigger issue is this. It's not even just this particular game against Creighton. I just I feel like Willard kind of already had a defeatist attitude going in because he did the same thing last year. You know, we played Creighton in a game uh, at the Rock last year where the final tally was 87 to 82. And I understand that we couldn't do anything to slow Creighton down on that given night. They just had one of their nights where they shot the lights out where their offensive game was clicking. And Willard decided to go back into the rematch in Omaha to end the regular season last year and play the slow it down Maryland tempo like we played earlier in the non-conference when we were missing Powell and Sandro. I got a problem even with that. This is a team that was projected to go potentially to the final four. And you're telling me that one of your biggest rivals in the conference with a chance to win the outright Big East regular season title, you're going to try to dictate the play of that game to play it in the 60s? We lost 87-82. You got Miles Powell. You got Rowe and Q clicking on all cylinders. And last year, he changed our strength to conform to them. And then ultimately, it didn't work out. I'm just concerned that here's an upper echelon team in the Big East, and Willard went in with gimmicks instead of saying, I have confidence in our guys. Let's just go beat them at our game. And last year, we went into that great game in Omaha, hoping for the outright Big East title, and we didn't put our best foot forward. This year, we go into Omaha, and it's going to be our first big test of the season. And again, we, we fall down on our faces. You want to transition, Tommy? Speaking of putting the right foot forward. Oh, that's harsh, Mike. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but that's the next storyline of this game is, you know, Aiken re-injures his ankle again. And it was another freakish play where he's just kind of running through, cutting across the middle and steps on another player's foot. I, are we at the point right now where we are starting to second guess Willard for recruiting Bryce Aiken? Oh, I don't know that you second guess for recruiting him. He's just, I think he's just one of those guys that's just injury prone. I mean, you know, we've seen this through the years, maybe not in Seton Hall, but we've seen this in different places. The The whole game had me numb. When he went down, I was some, um, I was somewhat numb. I went, you were freaking out a little bit. I'm just like, well, I, this is who he is. I was kind of expecting the next injury. I have no idea what the extent of this injury is, but would it surprise you if he didn't play for the Pirates at all for the rest of the year? I don't know if he's out for the whole year. I mean, I, I definitely feel bad for the kid. You could see the emotions all over his face while he was on the court. You saw it when he came back on the crutches. I mean, sometimes you are who you are in terms of injuries or being fragile I mean, the reality is he didn't he didn't play that many games over the last four years prior to coming to Seton Hall. But now you have a lot of fans that are sitting there going, hey, look, he was the jewel piece of the recruiting class because transfers are part of the process. And he was the piece that was supposed to project them back into the NCAA tournament. And we haven't gotten anything from him yet. And you saw glimpses in the Xavier game as to how good this team could be when he's on you know, his A game potentially. And we only had it. He only played like 20 minutes that game. 
But fans are like, wow, if we could possibly see a 20-point game from Bryce with everything else clicking, watch out. That Xavier game could, you know, continue to replicate itself. When he went down, I think it took the wind out of the team sail. And I also think it, it did that to me as a fan, and it did to a lot of other fans as well. You know, back to your question about second-guessing Willard for recruiting Bryce, you know, the decision was to move on from Anthony Nelson already. Anthony Nelson had been put in a doghouse, and he wasn't going to continue on with the program. So Bryce being that top-notch transfer, no, you can't second-guess for trying to go out and get that guy. But this comes back to the same thing I've been saying over and over, Mike. You were expecting this kid to come in and be your second most important player or second best player, whatever it is. And now you're going to struggle because he can't get past that injury bug. So I'd prefer to recruit the younger kids, develop them up, and then bring in a grad transfer that's a piece of the puzzle, not the main piece of the puzzle. See, I'm going to even backtrack a little bit. Yeah, I think everyone was expecting or hoping that he'd be the, the second best player or a huge piece of the puzzle. I think we'd all accept right now if he could just play point guard. Just give me point guard. You, you got Roden stepping up. You got Sandro playing at a level at times that we were like, wow, this is an All-American, you know, Big East player of the year type level. We didn't expect that from those two guys. We're seeing Tyrese start to play better. I mean, I'd just be happy if you got point guard play out of Bryce Aiken at this point where once in a while his speed broke down the defense because Tommy the point guard play in this game was less than desirable Mike you're being kind here and I know we've we've always tried to make sure we look at things even keel here to be honest with you but Shavar probably had his worst game as a pirate that he that he's ever had I mean he had zero points he was 0 for 3 from the field he even missed a pair of free throws which is totally out of character he had one assist and five turnovers and out of those five turnovers I mean a couple of them weren't even pretty he directly passed the ball to oncoming Creighton defenders. It just wasn't a good game for him. Look, everybody's going to have a bad game. It just it just happens. There's, there's nights where you just have the worst performance of your career. And for Shavar, this is it. That's not my issue here. My issue is that our point guard play was scouted. Creighton intentionally attacked him the minute he crossed half court. The ball pressure was intense. And Tom, they started jumping the passing lanes because they knew that Shavar gives up his dribble early and looks to kind of pass it around the perimeter, therefore leading to these horrendous pick-six type turnovers. And it just kind of unfortunately illustrated what I thought we already knew. He can't beat his guy off the dribble. They left Ike wide open off the pick and roll, forcing Shavar to have to make difficult passes to him on the move. One, that's not easy to do. Two, that's not Shavar's strength. And three, I can't catch it. I, I, I mean, so it, it was just a microcosm of some of the biggest fears that we have relative to our point guard play. We talked about not being able to get downhill in the last podcast episode. Was there anything downhill in this game? Well, Mike, you know, this is becoming sort of a trend, to be honest with you. And I don't want to sound like I'm picking on him. But but for a few late game heroics coming from Shavar, we've basically not been getting a whole lot from that point guard position. I mean, we've taken looks at long stretches of game where nothing's coming from there. And if you're getting nothing from your point guard and you're getting minimal back from your center when Ike's in, you're playing three-on-five basketball and and it's tough to be successful when that's happening. 
I, I agree, and it puts a lot more pressure on Roden, Kale, and Sandro to create. And we, we talked about this at nauseum, and they're creating or trying to create late in the shot clock or do things outside of their realm and be one-on-one -on -one players. They're not one-on-one -on -one players. They're really not. We were fortunate to have guys like Delgado and Whitehead and Desi and Casey and Powell. I mean, these guys were elite players at creating one-on-one -on -one shots for themselves. They're good players. I got nothing against Kale Roden and Sandro. They're not create one-on-one -on -one shots for each other. Are they? No. And, you know, there's lots of stuff we can complain about in this game because you, you, when, you, when you're down by 40 points, there's not a whole lot of good things you can say. But, Mike, let me ask you something, and this will be nitpicking, I guess, on Coach Willard, but why did it take so long to get the guys at the end of the bench into the game at this point? I mean, you're down 30 and you still don't have Jahari Long in the game playing some minutes. I mean, what does that tell the kid? What does it tell all the guys? I mean, a lot of the fans, if I'm going back to the social media posts throughout the game, were upset because they weren't getting the players in against meaningful minutes of the other team's starters, or better yet, even their backups. We had to wait till like the third string walk-on collection of Creighton players, you know, entered the lineup before with eight minutes to go. You saw extended run for Jahari Long. And we're going to get to see a lot more Long in the upcoming games like we did against DePaul and we will while Bryce is still out. But you got sloppy play from Trey Jackson because I think he was disinterested at that part of the game. And like you said, maybe we're nitpicking and we're over analyzing this, but you got walk-on Sylvester Granda playing but Dominguez Stevens doesn't in a 40-point blowout? And they and they asked Willard about that in the postgame. And they're like, oh, well, he, he, was, he was fine. He, he was fine? I, it was a quick, it was kind of a quick statement and move on to the next, move on to the next question kind of a remark from Willard too. So I, I, I don't know, is, is Dominguez our new Desi? Is he in the doghouse already? How was the guy who hasn't played this year in the doghouse? I mean, come on. I, let, let, me, let me just put you... I don't know if he's in the doghouse. We're speculating. This is probably not the biggest takeaway from this game. But let me put you in his mindset, potentially. You haven't played all year. You watch the rest of your teammates at least get eight minutes of run in a blowout to get a couple shots, show what they can do, and you don't step on the court. What's going through your mind? What's going through my mind if I'm Jahari Long and I haven't got into the game, but Takal Molson's running point and not running it well. Takal started the game at the four, played his normal wing position, and then he's running point at the end of the game, and you're just sitting there wondering, why am I here? There's a lot of head-scratching stuff start to finish in this game. Hopefully there's nothing more to read into it. Hopefully everything with uh, Steven's development is fine. You know, maybe he was nursing an injury that Willard doesn't want to disclose. But if I don't get run in that game, I'm wondering, when do I ever get to see the court? Absolutely. Right? But, you know, luckily we didn't go back to South Orange right after our trip to Omaha. We took a quick jump into Chicago. And on Saturday, Seton Hall 76, DePaul 68. This was a sloppy game right from the start. The first eight minutes yielded the following. 15 misses, 10 fouls, 9 turnovers for a 12-12 tie. The Hall finally got it into gear and doubled up the Blue Demons 28-14 for the remainder of the half, leading to a 40-26 lead at the break. The Pirates won the early stages of the second half, yet again pushing the lead to 21 points with 15 minutes left 
to play. The ugliness, unfortunately, resumed from there as the ball clawed its way back as close as six points late due to the Pirates not registering a field goal for the final nine minutes of play. But free throw shooting was good enough to close out an eight-point final margin. All right, Tommy. Stats were a little bit better this time. All right, so here's your box score. Jared Roden, 18.6 rebounds. Quietly somehow gets to that number. I don't know how he does it. Sandro, 15 points and eight boards. And Tyrese Samuel. Can I start calling Tyrese your boy now? Tyrese <laughs> I love Samuel. myself some Tyrese Samuel. 10 points and seven rebounds off the bench. I thought they were very impactful. Uh, DePaul, Javon Freeman Liberty, 22 points, four rebounds, four assists. And you're texting me, was that a career high? <laughs> Unfortunately not. He had 32 back when he played for Valparaiso, and he was a conference player of the year, but 22 yet again, very impressive. Big East career high for Javon Freeman Liberty. And on the team side, Tom, there was nothing aesthetically pleasing about this game. 35 combined turnovers, 20 for the Hall, 15 for DePaul, and 45 combined fouls. There, there was no flow. There was no pace. It wasn't even good basketball, in my opinion. Uh, but there is a special stat that we should kind of give – Coach Willard, his kudos here. He now has registered 100 Big East victories in his coaching career. And, and you know, Mike, that's actually a really impressive list, and it's got some surprising members on it. Maybe let, let me let me throw a few names at you that were kind of surprising when I looked at that list. Jamie Dixon is on that list. John Thompson III is on that list. And obviously his father, John Thompson, was on it as well. But there are some, you know, big names like Bayheim and the rest. But there's some really good names on that list. So congratulations to Kevin Willard. It's an accomplishment because it's a longevity list. And there were points in Willard's tenure at Seton Hall that you were like, I, I don't see him having that type of longevity. And then you also sit there and say in terms of a Seton Hall coach, can a coach like uh, at a Seton Hall program get on that list? Because whenever someone has the type of success that would put you in that stratosphere, we have not been able to keep that coach throughout our program's history. We're always the, the jumping point to go someplace else. So I read somewhere where someone made a good point and said, you know what? I have a difficult time seeing Kevin Willard potentially leaving the more he continues to kind of build up this resume of success here at Seton Hall. It's, it's an interesting point. Well, let's put on the blue tinted glasses and talk about what really went well. Mike, I think the thing that we really need to talk about here, the surprising stat that you read, Jared Roden is Mr. Smooth. I mean, that mid-range game is becoming automatic. Yeah, but it's the worst shot in college basketball, according <laughs> to some of the analytics. We, we can't even find a way to throw the ball in the ocean in games, and we're going to tell Jared that's not an efficient shot. I love that shot. He can elevate. He can create it. He's one of the few guys that can get his own shot on this team, and he's making it with regularity. So, yeah, I love it. But, you know, what? it also turns into drives to the basket. The I mean, he's guys have got to respect that jumper, so they're playing him tighter, and, and it gives him a shot to get to the hole. You know what I want to see happen? I want to see other players feed off of that, knowing that Jared's got the confidence to take that shot. And I want to see guys cut hard to the lane when he's kind of dribble driving into the middle because you know he's going to elevate right around the elbow or, you know, that free throw line. And what's going to happen is other guys are going to have to come out and challenge that jump shot once you start scouting Roden because you know it's going to go in. And maybe you can get a Kale Cutton, and instead of Jared putting up the shot, 
he just kind of dunks it off to a cutting kale and maybe get a, a couple easy deuces or anybody kind of just moving towards the basket and crashing the offensive glass. Cause I, I think we're going to start getting some additional offense off of his success. And you know, who's also looking really good lately and his game is improving game by game. Tyree Samuel. I mean, he really looked good today out there and I don't know that he hit a three today, Mike. I think it was all that inside going to the basket game. He had some nice big to big plays with Mamu. He has, he's always got a nice touch on his passes. I think his passing is very underrated and he was also playing killer d today he's moving those feet his hands are active he's getting better and better every day okay so let me ask you this what else has improved game by game in terms of tyrese i think his minutes have improved have they not the more you get on the court the more you're going to kind of get into the flow get a feel for the game learn from your mistakes wow what a concept tyrese is playing and therefore he's getting better I don't know that he's getting more minutes. I think he's getting steadier minutes. I mean, he's okay. not getting right. pulled in and out. I think today he had more minutes just because Ike was getting into foul trouble. But his, but definitively, I think I see your point. His minutes are definitely being steady, and he's getting the opportunity to play through potential mistakes, whereas sometimes previously Willard's had the, had the old hook going. Yeah, there were a couple times we were like, ah, come on, Tyrese, you know, get better def- a defensive position don't let the guy catch the ball five feet deep on you and those are times that he would have been taken out but today because of the foul trouble you had to leave him in and let him play through it and man that the high low action with him and sandra looked pretty damn good absolutely what also look good mike is this a seaton hall team because we're hitting our foul shots man we went 20 for 23 from the charity stripe and it really stopped that leaky ship. I mean, we couldn't hit anything from the field for the last nine minutes, like we said previously. But those free throws really helped. Everybody seems to be hitting them. I'm not ready to put us in the category of a solid three-point shooting team like the announcers wanted to. And you know, maybe <laughs> our percentage is a lot better than we're used to. But God forbid we shot from the free throw line in, in this game the way we did against Creighton when we shot 60%. And we, we probably don't win this game. So to shoot 20 of 23 and not miss in the second half, that was absolutely paramount to pulling out this victory. And it has to get recognized. So clutch free throw shooting from the guys today. And while this game was really hard on the eyes, like we've said, thank goodness we were able to play to Paul and have a nice bounce back win on the road. After that drubbing we took in Creighton's hands, we needed some positivity coming into this week off. And you know, it's not been easy in Chicago, Mike. So are you one of these believers that a win's a win, no matter what in conference play, especially a true road win when there's nobody in the building? No, I, I would have rather seen us play a complete game and, and blow the doors off the ball, but it's better than going home with an L. No, I, absolutely. And we go back to what I said at the top of the episode, which is we're 6-2 and two in conference play. But, Tommy, thankfully it was DePaul playing their fourth game of the year and not somebody else that was playing a better brand of basketball. Because ultimately, I, I still thought we had our warts in this game. Or now we're going to transition over to our sour grapes and gripes segment for this ball game. I mean, and it kind of starts right at the top with the ball control again. I'm going to start with turnovers, ball handling issues, and I'm going to go back and beat that drum about point guard play. Tom, 20 turnovers today. And go ahead, pick on them. 
They got him. Who led the way with the most turnovers? <laughs> well, you know what was crazy was that first half, Sancho had as many points as he had turnovers. He had four of each, and it was not even – he did not look good to start the game off with. But in addition to that, Roden had four turnovers. Kale had three. It was. It just wasn't – we weren't taking care of the ball. We were playing very herky-jerky offense, and it showed. All right, so before we move on to some of the other – points that we have in this segment i want to go back to sandra here i'm and he's my boy right but three games in a row now six turnovers five turnovers six turnovers are, are we on to something here it's it's, def- good, it's like definitively a trend i mean it's a trend now i, I think op- opposing coaches are starting to get tape and say that this is what sandra likes to do and this is how we need to attack him wait a minute wait a minute what tape are they watching sandro gets the ball at the top of the circle and shuffles his feet like twice a game now. What tape is that? Hey, like Mike, Mike, he, he's Mike, Mike. How many charges does Sandro have? Uh, how many balls did he throw out of bounds now because he's trying to make a fancy pass as, as opposed to a good pass? There's things that they could do on him, and also he had one travel down low because he was trying to do a fancy move. The defense backed up, and he almost tripped over his own feet. Come on, Mike. All right, touche, touche. You defended yourself well on that point. I'll oh, thank you. you. I appreciate that. I think if you collectively put all those different plays into one bucket i think it's all a sandro not playing with a calm and poise around his game the shuffling of the feet is just trying to go too fast the charges is kind of not knowing what he wants to do with the ball or just going too quickly off the dribble and then like you said the the post travels is him just trying to over create and make something happen he's just gotta let the game start coming back to him again and just calm down a little bit and not try to do so much off the dribble. He's six eleven, Tom. He's again, back he's to six eleven. Again, back to your point from last week. Why is he not sitting in the post a little more? Get your big butt down to the post and do a little creation from there. I thought they did at the beginning of the game. I thought they did in the beginning of this game, and DePaul came prepared with the double team. Sandro's just going to have to accept that his role as a leader is once in a while he's going to have to get his own. But if the other team is going to come out and force the double team in the post. He has to just accept that and let other guys get involved. And I don't think he did that the first couple times they tried to defend him in the post this game. Mike, what is our problem with all the offensive charges that we are committing these days? I think a couple of those charges were probably, uh, you know, the the referees getting a little excited with the whistles because there's nothing a ref likes calling more than a charge. They get, pardon the pun, they get a charge out of pointing down the other way. I, the long call was ridiculous. I believe one of the the charges against Sandro was bad, but in general, we are driving to the basket with a little less control than we should. Well, I got a couple of things here. I used to ref some, uh, you know, CYO church games back in the day. Oh, the, the charge call is so much fun. It is so much fun to make the charge call. I, I can't deny that. It's absolutely a psychological aspect of being a referee. I don't think the refs made bad calls. Uh, I, I could argue the Jahari long call and you and I were joking. He's like, how could he call that? Jahari just looked so slow going up in his move that it allowed the defender to kind of slide underneath him. And it made it look like he got there late or the Jahari got there late. Jahari beat him to the spot by a mile, but he he looks like he's going in slow motion, doesn't he? He's a little tentative. Let's be kind to the kid. He had his first major run in Big East play. He looked tentative. Most of the other charges are guys handling the ball in open space that you typically don't want them doing that. 
It's not because our point guards that are having all these out-of-control drives to the basket. It's Sandro, it's Roden, it's Kale. Yes, Long and Shavar had one each, but it's consistently more Sandro than anybody else. And you're like, stop doing that. Stop putting Sandro in that position. But he's a unicorn, right? So now it's, you know, you got to let him do that now. Well, it's Sandro and Roden. Sandro and Roden per game will have at least one charge definitively. So at the end of the day, I think the point guard needs to control all this tempo and flow and get guys good shots. And Shavar just, I, once again, I think he had another poor performance overall. Here's why. And I'm going to be really critical here. We knew that Aiken was not playing. We knew that we we're going to have to integrate Long back into the rotation. And we don't know what we're going to get from him. It, and it was a really important game for the Pirates to have to win. Shavar could not get into foul trouble in this game. And what did he do? He got into foul trouble. Were they good fouls, Tom? Well, not a lot of them. I'll tell you that, Mike. Especially, you know, he actually should have been, he should have fouled out with about seven minutes to go when he body slammed Charlie Moore to the ground on an inbounds play. I mean, it wasn't even close. And then to add insult to injury later on, they called the same kind of foul on Charlie Moore. And Charlie was sitting there talking to the refs like, what, what just happened? Aren't you going to give me that one after you gave him that one? And everybody's sitting there defending Shavar on that weird call they had for his fifth foul. Oh, it's not a fair call. He body slammed Charlie Moore three minutes earlier with seven minutes to go. Body slammed him. You, you know, the only problem I had with that foul call was I don't know where... Uh, Fre Freeman Liberty was actually going to go because his man was setting the pick and the only place that he could go was out of bounds regardless. But Shavar did give him a little shove to kind of send him on his way. So, I mean, it wasn't a bad call. You can't have Shavar diving all over the court like he's a bowling ball when he is the starting point guard on your rotation that has to play 30 potentially 35 plus minutes he got his second foul in the first half where he's diving for a loose ball and he looks like a cornerback taking out the legs of a receiver on a screen pass i mean what are you trying to accomplish with making that play if you're my guy off the bench and you're in there to spark the team and give me energy i love that play that can't be your second foul it has to be smarter than that. I, I did forget the flying tackle. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. That wasn't that good. But, you know, because Shavar got into foul trouble, it did put push Jahari Long into longer minutes than he was probably expecting. Now, his play itself, I don't know if we could actually categorize in the sour grapes and gripes section because he, he was steady. He looked he was, good. He was, yeah. He did look timid. I mean, almost first possession out of the gate he's driving the ball on the left hand side and he looks like he's got a left a lane right to the basket that if he just takes that first quick step he's gonna be there and he pulls it back out and he passes it around and i'm just like oh it's in his head this kid's not comfortable yet yeah that's i felt the same way that should be instinctual right a, a point guard who's a point guard his entire life sees that little you know doesn't even be a big a hole or a big lane and it, you could drive a truck through that one and he backed it out that, to me that was that was psychological and that wasn't a good sign but he worked his way into the game he was a steadying influence he didn't really turn the ball over but you pointed out a couple things to me that i, I think were valid late in the game when shavar had the four fouls and they put long back in the game they didn't let Long bring the ball up. Roden and Sandro brought the ball up, and Long is, like, running to the corner to be that, like, that decoy threat to space the floor. If Long's in there, 
Why is he not bringing the ball up? Well, you know, and to that point, it's it's not so much that he's not bringing the ball up because Sancho does a lot of ball handling, and it ends up being it's a positive thing for us a lot of times because the guy guarding Sancho is not going to pick him up ninety feet and and guard him from from and okay, but, but from so end to end. His, hang on, but then Sandro blows by his guy, and that's when he's he's creating these charges because now he's got a full head of steam the entire length of the court, and they're waiting for him. And I don't want to hear well maybe Jared Roden can do it because with a couple minutes to go in the game did he even like just kick the ball to the other team well absolutely and the bad look is hiding long out at the, out there in the corner because if you're just going to put him out there in a the corner as a decoy you might as well have someone that's got more experience and is going to bring you more to the table at that point you might as well have molson in there to have that extra wait set of hands wait a minute did you just say bring molson in did you I, say I like you, i like molson i don't know what you're not making that narrative up on me again all right <laughs> but it makes sense right if, if long's not going to be the primary ball handler and he's in there for defense and potentially to, as the defense breaks down get the ball and attack the basket why don't I want Molson in the corner doing that role I, I don't get it it just doesn't make any sense to me well Mike you know you brought it up the past couple podcasts and we're gonna have to talk about it again this team cannot put teams away we develop big leads in the second half of the games and they, we just allow teams to kind of whittle it down and whittle it down. And today was no different. We were up by 21 with about 15 minutes left in this game. It looked like we were going to just close this thing out. And DePaul just started chomping away and chomping away and chomping away. And next thing you know, it's a six-point lead with only a couple of minutes left. Tommy, let, let's, just, let's just agree that this is the last sour grapes and gripes of this episode. Because, I mean, I... I don't want to go around in full circle and beat the same points over and over again. They only scored from the free throw line in the last nine minutes. No field goals. Are you kidding me? DePaul up by 21. You're shooting 75% from the floor to start the second half. And all of a sudden you can't score from the floor for the last nine minutes. This goes back to the droughts we've been talking about. This goes back to the killer instincts. This comes back to point guard play. This comes back to getting easy buckets. It's we're, we're beating we're beating the drum over and over and over again. This can't happen. We were lucky enough that on the other side of the court was an incompetent team. I understand they're a Big East program. I understand they've beaten opponents from time to time. Tom, that did not look like a Big East program across the way today well I, I'll, I'm gonna cut DePaul a little bit of slack I think there's a lot of individual talent out there uh, Freeman literally looked really good we've seen Charlie Moore have good games Romeo Weems seemed to be a little invisible today but we know he's a talent Mike this was their fourth game playing together against any competition this year and I keep on saying it what if it wasn't what oh, if it was a team? It could have been playing, a big. It could have been a different story, right? You, you, how many times can you give away a twenty-one point lead and walk out of the building and still come away with a W? How many times can you go through nine-minute scoring droughts and expect to win? I, they needed the win. They got the win. I don't care how they got it at this point. But at the end of the day, if I'm walking away feeling confident about this victory, no, I'm 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 happy we got it. I'm I'm grateful that we're six and two. But I, I don't feel like there's a lot of positive momentum 
to carry into the next game yet, do you? Well, there wasn't a whole lot, especially in that second half that was pleasing to the eye, if you will. But, Mike, we did have a couple of woe-did-you-see-that moment happenings. And, you know, luckily we can we can say something happened in the Paul game because it certainly wasn't going to be in the Creighton game. It was getting to the point that we almost didn't have anything in the, the Paul game either. <laughs> but, but, you know, we did. And, you know, some of that action between Sandro and Tyrese – that's becoming some really pleasant and popular action right there. That was like a, whoa, did we see different offense? That, that, that's what I said. I was like, whoa, that's a, that's a different offensive set. What was the last time we saw some high-low? And it wasn't just a fluky, oh, we saw it once. It happened two or three times throughout the game. And another one of those big monster Tyrese dunks where he kind of fakes on the elbow and goes soaring in. And when you see a six foot eleven guy at his size coming through the lane... I didn't see anybody coming up to try to challenge that, Mike. No, and I think he was even fearful of his own dunk because after he threw it through the net, he kind of turns his head. And I don't know if he was turning his head so he was afraid of the ball coming through and hitting him or if he was actually going to hit his head on the rim. He was coming in so high with so much uh, veracity. I, when Tyrese gets a full head of steam, get out of his way, is a good chance he's going to be the whoa, did you see that moment on most episodes. Additionally, some the competition this week, though. So he, he takes it in my in my book. Well, you know, you had one really smooth looking move from Roden when he went. He made a little move on the right elbow, and then he took it to the basket and slammed one down. That was that was also a nice move. So I mean, there was some positivity today. Roden's dunk on the baseline is it's getting to be sneaky, right? You're like, oh, he's got a quick first step. What's he gonna do? And like, whoa. He's right up at the rim, and it's not, you know, it's not in your face with one hand. It's not powerful, but it's this quick little two-hand stuff right over the rim, and you're like, oh, oh, look at that. He's really feeling comfortable, and his game is getting really smooth. Yeah, but you know who didn't feel comfortable? The broadcasters in this game behind the mic, because, oh, man, there were there were no mic drops in this one, Tommy. No, not at all, man. Oh, not with oh, Tim God. Miles and Jeff Levering on the call. No, no, sir. All right, I, I, I'm going to go to town on, on, on Tim today. All right, with 8.26 to play, and the score is now 64 to 49, Tim goes, you are getting to a point now where you are at eight minutes, and if you're DePaul and you need to come back, this is exactly it. From here to the four-minute thing, you need to gain ground. What? Mike, thing? Th that's horrendous. Well, what is the four-minute thing? Uh, you know, he's a professional basketball broadcaster, and he's talking about the four-minute, you know, the four-minute thing, Mike, the thing. I, I'm, I'm not going to give you an Italian bit right now. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to do that, no. <laughs> the four-minute mark, the four-minute point on the clock. The, the under-four timeout, give, whatever give you want to say. Give me something, the four-minute thing? You could have said thingy at this point. I, I don't know. I, I, uh, it, was a, it was a prelude to the garbage that he brought down the stretch of this game. Here's Tim again. Great fight out of DePaul here. Lead down to 11. I believe it was big as 17. No. No, it was 21. But why is it so hard to pay attention to the game that you're calling? Uh, they, they, you I, know I, what? The, these two should try out for the Big Ten Network. They'd filled right at home. They even butchered... The Fox Probo of the wild card game between the Rams and the Seahawks, Mike. I mean, they didn't know what they were talking about. You're trying to do a promo for the station, and you don't even get it right. Do you want this one or you want me to take it? Because this was a doozy. This well, how about doozy. this? How about this? Since it was both Levering and Miles kind of uh, quipping back and forth, 
I'll be Jeff, you be Tim, and we'll go back and forth and give the folks an idea of what they talked about. All right, I like that. Go ahead. All right. So here we go. Just announced Jared Goff will be quarterbacking the Los Angeles Rams this afternoon. That is big news. Wow. That is huge news. He is the quarterback, right? Yes, he is. Did Jared Goff play at Georgia? Isn't he the Georgia kid? I mean, where did he play at? Cal. Uh, sarcastically, he says that, by the way. Uh, and then Tim goes, yeah, same thing. Yeah, close. Same coast. <laughs> uh, wasn't there a Georgia quarterback who came out recently? There have been a few. There have been a few. I don't watch a lot of football. Obviously, this guy doesn't watch a whole lot of football. Oh, Tommy, man, if, if you don't understand what's going on with the promo, pardon me, shut up. Just shut up. I mean, it, it, this is a playoff marquee NFL game that Fox is promoting. He sets it up nicely. Jeff does. And Tim just absolutely butchers the heck out of it. And he's trying to save himself. Oh, yeah, those Georgia quarterbacks, right? No, no, Cal. <laughs> say, say, oh, same thing. Yeah, yeah, same coast. Right? Yeah, just same let coast. it go. Just let it go. I, I had to go look it up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aren't there a lot of Georgia quarterbacks that have come out in the NFL lately? Uh, no. Uh, Jake Fromm, last year, 2019, got drafted in the fifth round by the Bills. He hasn't played. Aaron Murray, 2014, drafted in the fifth round by Kansas City. I got to go all the way back to Matthew Stafford, drafted the first pick overall out of Georgia back in 2009 to the Lions. I'm sorry. That's not the guy who recently came out. That's over a decade ago. What, what is it? What are they doing? Just shut up. This was a miserable listen the entire game. It was bad basketball and a bad listen. Well, to go from bad to worse, the reality of this world is we're still in a pandemic and it's still causing havoc all around the country. And it's also hitting the biggies pretty hard. Well, but wasn't there some positives out of the pandemic pandemonium this time? Didn't the NCAA actually come out with some definitive direction around the protocols for the, when the actual tournament takes place in, in the various locations in Indianapolis? I liked it. You know, they, they basically said, hey, if you're in the tier one category, you're going to have to undergo seven consecutive negative tests prior to arriving. All teams housed in the hotels, meals either in your room or physically distanced, and then all tier one must wear, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Connexion movement devices during the tourney. And everyone's like, oh, no freedom of movement. <laughs> Ironic with the, the NCAA you know, and, and their rules committee. But yeah, yeah, we, we talked to, to Brian Custer over the summer. You know, he's like, I, I wanted to go for a walk at Mohegan Sun. And I had to tell the security guard that I'm just going to do a lap around the parking lot. And if he left the parking lot or the security guard couldn't see him, he was booted from the event. He had to go home, pack your bags. I don't care. I like this. You guys want to have the privilege of playing in this tournament after what we had to struggle through to possibly get to that point of the season. You guys aren't going to mess this up. We're going to monitor where you go. We can make a we can make a bad Lojack joke here, but we won't. But Mike, you know, while you're talking about the protocols and 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 whatnot that the NCAA has come up with, we've still got some bad news. 
Villanova's pausing again, and I know people are going to say, oh, who cares? It's only Villanova. But this is problematic here. You know, this comes back and starts asking the question, should we even be playing? And I think uh, Coach Wright actually had an interesting quote he, uh, about that topic. Okay, so as reported by John Fanta, Jay Wright says the following. He's asked his players about the season and whether it should keep happening. And Jay Wright comes back and says, his players have said they spent all spring and all summer inside their homes and they've remained very adamant that they want to continue playing and you know this is what you want the players want to play coaches want to coach so all you can do at this point is try to continue to mitigate risk here yeah and they don't want to shut it down temporarily either i mean there's another quote from jay that says i think our opportunity for made madness was a couple months ago i do think we have to look at the fact that everybody's trying to do the best that they can. This virus is incredibly contagious. He's not doing what Coach K says and, and saying, let's everybody stop. This is not safe. He's like, we've made a choice. We're full steam ahead now. Does it suck that we had to kind of shut down? Yes. Are my guys disappointed? Yes. Do they want to keep going? Yes. Should we all keep going? Absolutely. My bigger concern is you might have a team like Villanova win the Big East regular season because they go what? They go 6-1, and 7-0? Uh, are they even going to get to play 20 games? It gets to a certain point where if they have one or two other pauses, I don't care how many contingency plans there are with gaps in the schedule, they're not getting to 20 games. They're just not. But, Mike, you, you want some irony in here? You want a little bit of irony? Go ahead, the next game that Nova's got in its schedule, if the, everything goes well for them, is the Tuesday, January 19th game. And who's their opponent? The Seton Hall Pirates. We got to take advantage of that game. At that's that clear, point, that, it'll that's be a win. Well, that, that's a win. You can't play after a COVID pause. That's the rule, right? You just, you're not going to be good. You're gonna, you don't know what a basketball is. You've been stuffing your face with you know ding dongs in your in your dorm room. You know, there's just there's no way to win a basketball game after a COVID pause. Well, but but in all honesty, that'll be almost a month since they had played a basketball game, if not more. You got to take oh, I, advantage I, I, of this. I, I, I get it. It's, it's an opportunity because. One team, hopefully, one team in Seton Hall is going to continue playing at its normal regularity. They are hopefully have worked out their kinks after the Xavier game coming up at home, and then they just travel down the road to Villanova and hopefully take a, a situation where they're playing a top-five team in the country, actually number three in the country, and have an opportunity to possibly steal one because Nova is just a little bit rusty. I, I get it, but you, you think Jay Wright's team is going to come that unprepared? to step back on the court again? I, I don't know if it's, if it's a matter of being unprepared, but there's definitively going to be some rust. There's definitively going to be a lack of physical preparation at that point because you, you just can't be in game shape after having that kind of pause. Well, look, Tommy, I, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. We only have one game next week. It's against Xavier in the rematch. Obviously, Xavier is going to be chomping at the bit to kind of get some revenge after we stuck it to him at their place. Uh, we're going to break down that game behind enemy lines with Adam Baum later in the week. But I'm, I'm looking ahead on the schedule here. I'm taking a little glimpse forward, and we always have this, you know, potential January swoon that's out there looming. Let, let's say they get past Xavier, right? It's a little presumptuous, but let's say they just have Xavier's number this year and they win the home rematch. That gets you to 7-2. to two. Okay, next, next, next group of games here. At Nova. Maybe they take advantage of the pause, but it's at Nova. At Butler, home Creighton, home Villanova, and you ready for this? At Providence, 
at UConn. They could be seven and two, and if I'm being fair, that could be a one and five, Tommy. I cannot believe Kevin Willard hasn't started complaining about this already, Mike. I mean, that's a killer set of games in January. I mean, let, let's take a look at it. You just said if you're being generous, you could see one and five, right? What's that one? Maybe Butler at Hinkle? And Hinkle's no sure win. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see him get back at Providence. I'd like to see him kind of go toe-to-toe with UConn. UConn has they've had some nice performances, but they've only played six games. I mean, I'm not saying they lose all these games, but the Providence game and UConn game are on the road. So you got to kind of give the edge to Providence and UConn just based on standard travel and venue. Uh, it's, it's not an easy stretch. So let's kind of recap the fact that this DePaul win, as ugly as it was, was a very big win to get to not only bounce back from the Creighton game, but to also get to that six and two, put themselves in a position to beat Xavier at home, get to seven and two and give themselves a cushion. If they were to go two and four or go three and three in that next six game stretch, I'd sign up for three and three in a heartbeat. How about that? Oh, absolutely. Definitively, you could say that there are no gimmies in the next stretch of games. These next seven, six, seven games are no, there's no gimmies there. Even Xavier, who we put took to the woodshed a few weeks ago in Cincinnati, that's no sure thing coming into the Rock either. And this is what's most important about this upcoming stretch that has me concerned. Look, the Xavier game showed us a ceiling. We don't have Bryce. We don't know when we're gonna get Bryce back. He was a part of that performance to show us what the ceiling was. Let's be honest. The last three games, even though two out of the three were wins, were kind of underwhelming performances. The Butler game, very shorthanded Butler team, they struggled. They clearly struggled uh, to bring their game up to the level of Creighton. And this was kind of an ugly, muck it up, struggling type victory against DePaul. So you have to start putting quality wins on your resume. It can't be a 12 and eight conference record by beating all the bottom feeders. You're gonna have to put some good quality wins on your resume get to a 13 and 7 14 and 6 and the only way that's going to happen tom is if they get a handful of wins in this upcoming stretch and i'd like to see them flip the switch a little bit maybe xavier helps us do that and get back on that positive upswing as we head into these top tier matchups well you know we could only hope that xavier rolling into the rock becomes some sort of wake-up call for the Pirates and they start playing better basketball again. That's what we're hoping to see. So, Mike, we did go one-and-one. It was a nice little birthday gift for you on the back end of this trip, and and we could just hope to see better basketball moving forward here. Tom, I said I was going to be positive on this podcast. I don't know how much I delivered on that request or, excuse me, on that promise, but I will say I'm pretty confident that we're going to come out of this one again victorious, move that needle to 7-2 in conference play, and and then I'll start getting a little glass half empty as we head into the, the Villanova matchup back down in Philly. But otherwise, go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect network of podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Deziri, and you've been listening to 
Left Coast Pirates. 